Wow. Well, praise the Lord. Um, been uh, some hard days coming up to this point. Uh, it truly is bittersweet. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, one thing I just, as I think about in preaching this morning, just remind how this is, this, it's about Christ. And um, all we do, all that we are is about Him. So I'm eager to preach His Word today. And hopefully I can finish the sermon. So, um, when you think about leaving somewhere, you think about past memories a lot. And um, <clears throat> one memory that comes to mind, I mean, I came to Good News one of my first times when I was 15 years old uh, to meet my girlfriend's parents. And uh, it's wild to think 17 years later, here we am, and we have three kids, and God's blessed us abundantly. Um, those years in high school, I got to know so many of you, and knowing you since that time, we, we essentially grew up together. And one sweet memory I have with, with, uh, with good news and with Inner City Impact, which I was a part of, we took a road trip to California with our, with our group of, of, uh, of high schoolers. Those leaders were probably a little crazy for taking us. And we just drove from Chicago to California, stopping at great landmarks along the way, from the Salt Lake Flats, flats in uh, Salt Lake City um, to the Grand Canyon. And I remember in particular driving to see the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And I remember looking through the window, and all of us we were plastered to the window to see city kids sing mountains for the first time. And as we got closer, they're that much more beautiful and, and awe-inspiring. But there was, a, there was a reality that we were still inside the bus. Uh, we were looking through a window. And it wasn't until we got off the bus and took in the panoramic view of these glorious and majestic mountains that we were truly awestruck. It wasn't until we got out of that little small window that we could see and soak in all that God had created there before us. And when I think of the gospel... It's much like that. If you're a child of God today, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you can say the gospel is amazing, it's beautiful, it's changed your life. But it's so easy for us to, to let ourselves simply view it from the window. We, we don't get the huge, broad stroke, we get the small ones. And we can appreciate it, we can love it, but in reality our lives, the busyness, the rat race of life, uh, circumstances, kind of cloud our thought so we can come to church each Sunday and, and still love God and, and love His Word, but maybe not see all that He wants us to see. And God calling Erica and I to, to plant a church in Montclair has been much of a stepping off the bus for us. Initially, it, it was not our desire. We, we couldn't see the picture. Boy, when we got off that bus and saw what God might do, it, it was awe-inspiring to see a needy community with a little bit of a gospel. There are some solid churches there, but there's over 14,000 people, and a few churches isn't going to do it. There needs to be a greater light there, and God gave us the vision to see that. And we began to see our neighbors and think, there's people who live in these homes today who don't know Jesus. 
But maybe five years from now and ten years from now, they might be missionaries and elders and their children might be leaders. Just see that picture. That's, that's God's panorama. That's what the gospel can do. And how I pray that God would help us see that today. That, that we would see all that Christ might do in and through our lives. That we would see gospel opportunities and seize them. Now, God may not be calling you to plant a church or join the plant, but God has gospel opportunities for you in your life. And will you seize them? Will you see the big picture here at Good News for what God might do? You know, Jesus said, right before he ascended into heaven, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To make a disciple is to make someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. To baptize them is for them to be united in Christ symbolically and to be put inside of a community of believers. And where there is a community of believers, there is a church. That's what a church is. It's not a building. It is a community of people who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who are, who are baptizing, who are celebrating the Lord's Supper, who are making disciples. That's a church. So when Jesus says, go make disciples and baptize, by default, Jesus saying, go and plant churches. Go to communities that don't have a gospel witness. Go where there are not people who know the Lord disciple them, share the love of Christ, have them baptized, form a community, and there is a church that has been planted. And God, I pray, will give us all that vision to plant a church, to plant churches, to be a part of the church that we are already in here at Good News, to prayerfully support other churches that are planting, and see the gospel work continue. Today, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 1, where, where this call to seize the gospel opportunity is so clear in the life of Paul. Would you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1? And here in this passage, we'll see through Paul's example and through his, his instruction that we are to seize <clears throat> gospel opportunities no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in because our circumstances in life provide opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And we need to view all of our life circumstances like that. Because if we view our life circumstances, we get, we get all bent out of shape because of them. They can muzzle our gospel witness. And we're not doing what God's called us to do. So here we see Paul in some tough circumstances seizing the gospel opportunity. Now before we get into the passage, I want to set the background for, for the book of Philippians. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul plants that church. He shows up in this major city. He tells people about Jesus, beginning with a woman by the name of Lydia. She trusts in Christ. A, a, a body of believers is starting to form. And one day as he's preaching, a slave girl comes up to him. And she was demon-possessed. And because of this, she had these supernatural abilities to, to perceive things that normal people couldn't perceive. And when she, this, this demonic, oppressed slave girl who had slave owners... When she saw Paul and Silas, she said what was clear to her, that behold, these are servants of the Most High God. And it says in Acts 16 that she went about the city following Paul and Silas around, saying that. 
And now you can imagine how this might be. You know, Paul in a marketplace, hey, can I get some apples? And hearing his girl in the background, behold, these are servants of the Most High God. And he goes over here and gets some bread. Behold, these are servants. He goes to tell someone about Jesus. Never mind the girl behind me. Let me tell you about Jesus in the background. You're hearing her. And in fact, it says that Paul became greatly annoyed. That's what it says in Acts 16. So he turns around, rebukes this demon from this girl, and then a problem happens because the slave owners now have lost their source of income. This girl was able to, to get them money. Now the demon was no longer in her, and they're upset at Paul and Silas. So they get everyone all stirred up. These people get mad at Paul. They strip him, they beat him, and they throw him in prison. That's Paul's church planning experience. While in prison, God causes an earthquake to cause the, the, the jail doors to open. The, 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 the jailer wanted to kill himself. Paul says, spare your life. He says, sirs, what must we do to be saved? He says, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let you and your household do this. The guy does it. His family does it. A church is born in Philippi. And Paul leaves the city because he's got other places to go to do the same kind of work. So now he's writing to these believers from prison in a different city because of Jesus. And here we come to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what he tells these Philippian Christians, these, these new believers in this newly planted church. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what, hap what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Look at that perspective. He said, I want you to know that what's happened to me, it really has served a great, a great thing. It's causing the gospel to advance. What, what has happened to him? He's getting thrown in prison. And Paul sees his life circumstance, as crummy as that is, as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And he says, everyone's found out why I'm here in jail. They know I'm here because I'm preaching Jesus. The entire imperial guard knows I'm here for Christ. And all the rest, doesn't say what all the rest are, all the rest of the prisoners, yeah, perhaps, all the rest of the other people who work there, perhaps other people in the city, but all the rest have found out that Paul is there because he's preaching that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save people from their sins, and they believe in him, they can have eternal life and forgiveness. Paul's there because of the message. And he says, I want you to know, I'm in prison, but boy, the gospel keeps going forward. I mean, what a perspective. Paul is off the bus here. He's not seeing his life through a window. He's, I'm, in, I'm in jail. My life's circumstance from all accounts stinks. But people are hearing about Jesus. The gospel is being advanced. And that stoked the flame inside of Paul. Because he wanted more than anything to see people come to know Jesus. He wanted that for even for himself. He says in chapter 3 of the same book, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then he says this, That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and might share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that it may have a means possible to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul wanted to know Jesus. He wanted other people to know Jesus so that even his imprisonment was a good thing in his own eyes because the gospel was being advanced. Now you must know you cannot rejoice in the advance of the gospel and everything unless you have a white-hot passion 
for the gospel. See, when a fire is at its hottest, it turns white. And that's the kind of white-hot passion God wants us to have for the gospel. So that when we're suffering, when we've been given an illness, and we're stuck in a hospital, when trials are hitting our family, when life is difficult, that we can say, are, these, are there gospel-tunities here? Where I can make Christ known. doesn't make the circumstance easier. Paul's still in prison. But Jesus was being advanced. See, unless you have a white-hot passion, unless you love the gospel, you can't rejoice in all circumstances. You, you can't be eager to see people know Jesus. And if right now you don't care about that, then th- there are some real problems because that means you probably don't know Jesus. If, if it's not something that, that's exciting to you to, to, to see Christ be spread along the city, we got to check our hearts and God, why am I, is my vision so limited? And maybe God's saying, you've got to get off the bus. You've got to see things through my lens. And have a, have a passion for the things that I have a passion for. When we see things like that, other churches, church plants, other ministries are no longer just competition, but they're co-laborers. Because we want to see people know Jesus. Evangelism isn't just a method to make our church bigger, but it's a, it's a way to get people to know Jesus who transforms lives. And yes, churches will grow so they can go and send out and get other churches that will grow and send out. And we will make disciples and baptize people throughout this city. They have a vision for that. That's what Paul did. And his own imprisonment was something that didn't worry him. And that's why we're called a church plant. We're called to partner with other Christians. We're called to have people come alongside and do the work of gospel ministry in communities like Humboldt Park and Montclair and elsewhere. We're to partner with other communities of believers, existing and new. You know, 6,000 churches close their doors every year in America. 6,000. 10,000 new churches are needing to be started just to keep up with the population growth in our country. We need to plant churches. Church plants also are one of the, if not the best way to reach unchurched people in a community. You know, studies show that after five years, a church plant, 66% of the people in their church are previously unchurched people. Two-thirds of their congregation is made up of people who had not gone to church before that plant started. So there is a vital need to plant churches because opportunities to reach new peoples is born. So existing churches and new churches come together and do gospel-centered work. That's what God has called us to do. In fact, church plants often revitalize existing churches because it, it, it gives fresh ideas. It provides new challenges. It forces us to develop new leaders. Step out in faith. And as we have prayed as elders here at Good News Bible Church, we believe God is going to do that here. We believe that's going to happen. That though some families will come from Good News and join us in Montclair, there will be a solid, biblically grounded body of Christians that are in these seats where you are at being you yourselves. And the gospel work will continue here if you will embrace God's panorama for your life. 
But church planning also takes sacrifice. And in God's economy, gain is, to, to, to gain is to lose. You've got to lose in order to gain. Paul lost his freedom. He's in jail. And I'm not going to prison, but we, we're losing a lot. I will miss Mosaic Cafe. I'm going to miss you guys. I'm going to miss our staff meetings. I'm going to miss our lunches. I'm going to miss praying on Tuesdays. I'm going to miss making war with our elders. Serving with them. Knowing that these brothers are in the trenches with us. I'm going to miss you guys. Pastor Ralph, I'm going to miss you so much. I've learned a lot from you. I'm glad you're taking me out for lunch next week. Or the week after, or both. I mean, whatever. I'm going to miss opening this word that I love to you people that I love. I'm missing my children running with your children in the fellowship Paul, bumping into people. Boy, I'm just going to miss so much. There's great sacrifice. We're going to lose things. But we're believing that we're going to gain on the other end. I know some of us might think, this is how it's going to be. I don't want to get close then. I don't want to love because I'll get hurt when things happen. Because I've felt like that before. But we're called by, the, by God to love with all our might and hold it with an open hand. Because this life is not it. Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and get you. And then we're going to be together for eternity. This is temporary. So we've got to catch that vision. I was thinking of, of, of Acts 20, when Paul's with the Ephesian elders for the last time. It says, there was much weeping on the part of all. That's even Paul, the man who had the greatest beautiful view of the gospel, the man who knew God's sovereignty. He wept with them. And it says this, they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They just wept with Paul. They cried with him. Paul, we're going to miss you. But you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. And so we've got to love with all our might, with an open hand, knowing that God is doing a work and joining him in his work. So what are the gospel opportunities God has in your life right now? What are the life circumstances, good or bad, that God has pushed, put before you? Will you take them and make Jesus known to the people around you? I loved going to visit Joe and Joan in the hospital. Because when we went there, when, when I went there, I was able to, to see them. And you know they've been sharing the gospel with their nurses and doctors for the past week. 
And everyone that came, that came to visit them, these people got to see the body of Christ loving on one another to the point where, where Joe's physical therapist said, I've got to go visit your church. You guys, you guys hug each other a lot. He's in the hospital. That's a crummy life circumstance. But it's a gospel opportunity, isn't it? And that's what we got to view all of our lives. And I'll confess, there are times I just, I don't see things like that. I'm stuck in that window. Hell, I know is real, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel urgent. I'm not, I'm not in love with God the way I need to be. And God is wanting me to continually get off the bus, look at the panorama, see what he is doing. See the people that are dying around you. The homes that are a wreck. The suicidal thoughts, the cutting, the despair. The, the, the uncertainty of one's identity, the sleeping around to find fulfillment, to see these, these broken communities that we live in and say, what would it be like for the gospel to crash into those lives? Oh, that God would give us a white-hot passion for the gospel, no matter what our life circumstances are. In verse 14, Paul says this. Look at the Bible. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And he goes on, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, on the other hand, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And you think, Paul would be like, man, this just makes me angry. That's what you think. But look what he says in verse 18. What then? <laughs> Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. As you see in verse 14, Paul says that his example of imprisonment made other people more bold. His, his courageous gospel-centered living was contagious. And people became more bold. The word bold there has connotations of daring. The, pe the people became more daring to share their faith. They dared to do something. And when you dare to do something, it doesn't mean that there is no danger at the other end. It means that there is danger, but you're willing to face it because of what you believe. And Paul says, other people, because of my imprisonment, are starting to feel the same kind of boldness. They are daring to go into the battle with the gospel message. They, didn't, they weren't worried about their own personal well-being. And somehow, even though there's real reason to fear, because the gospel is offensive, they had seen Paul get stoned and stripped and beaten and imprisoned, even though they saw all of that, something switched in their minds when they saw Paul in prison. And it gave them a newfound courage to tell people about Jesus. And they were on the gospel offensive, even knowing that the gospel is offensive. So there are real fears. There's fears that I face with this church plant. If I were honest, I, I fear failure from a human perspective. I fear rejection. I fear the spiritual attacks that will come on my family, because they will come, on the families that join us. The kind of attacks where you're like, 
There's not, no other explanation for this other than the enemy hates the gospel's advancement. There are many reasons to fear, but there are even greater reasons to be bold and to dare open our mouths in the midst of this battle. And Paul says his example has caused people to speak the word without fear. I praise God for people in my life who've, who've been like that to me, where I've watched their examples, and it just it makes me that much more bolder to share my faith. I mean, I have friends who are planting churches in other cities. I've seen other, other ministries, people here at Good News, who are just fearless. And it stirs my heart. I hear that constant call in my mind, don't waste your life. And I'm 31 years old, and for some of you that's old, and others of you is young. But for me, it's what I am. And I can't help but think, I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. I don't want to waste my life. I pray that none of us would want to waste our lives. That we would seize gospel opportunities that God places there before us. I hear the words of, of Psalm 72, 19 ringing in my mind where it says, Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Is that your passion? And people and God's word stir these kinds of fires in our hearts. Because courageous, passionate, gospel-centered living is contagious. And I pray that even through our leaving and others joining us, that your hearts would be stoked with a, a, a fresh kind of flame here at Good News. You could say with Jeremiah when he says, If I say I will not mention God or speak in His name anymore, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah said, I got a message to proclaim, and even if I try to keep it in, I can't do it. Because I just I just gotta open my mouth. And oh how how we yearn to see that be our response. That we love Jesus that much that we just we cannot hold it in. Paul says his example did that. But he goes on to say that some people preach Christ out of good motives. And others out of bad motives. He says in, in verse 16, the people who do it out of good motives, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Listen, look at that. He says, I am put here. Put who put Paul there? Who put Paul in prison? Was it the judge? See, this word put has has appointed as an undertone there. I believe it's God who put Paul in prison. Why? So that in verse 12 we saw the gospel would be advanced. So when Paul saw it that way, he's like, some people preach Christ out of good motives and praise God for that. And some preach Christ even out of bad motives, out of envy, out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition. They were jealous of Paul's success. They wanted themselves to be known. And Paul says people do that. They preach the gospel so that they could be known. But rather than being livid about it, Paul says, at the end of the day, what's being preached? The gospel. And in that, he says, and then verse 18, in that, I rejoice. Now, preaching the gospel out of wrong motives, is it shameful? Yes. Does it need to be rebuked? Yes. But Paul's saying, but nonetheless, the gospel's going forward. And that's him seeing God's big picture. Uh, make no mistake, these people aren't preaching a different gospel. 
The book of Galatians is about that, and he calls them wicked. These are people who are preaching the truth with wrong hearts. Paul says, as long as the truth is going out, we've got reason to rejoice here. When verses 19 through 26, I'm going to summarize that real quickly. Paul goes on to tell the Philippians, he says, you know, I'm in prison right now, but I really do think I'm going to get out of prison. I do think that I will be released. I don't think I'm going to die here. He says, although, I'm kind of torn as to which is better. Because it might be better for me to die, because then I could be with Jesus. But it might be better that I'm released so that I can help proclaim the gospel. He says, in any case, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a win-win for him. But whether or not he's to be released, whether or not he's going to be able to go see them, he says this for them in verses 27 through 30. He wants to see something happen among them. And it's the same thing God wants to see happen among us. And this is what Paul tells them. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He wants their lives to be worthy of the gospel. And then he lists four ways in which he wants to see that happen. He says, so whether I'm, I come and see you and, or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are, number one, standing firm. A life that's worthy of the gospel is a life that's standing firm. It's not a life that's running away from, from, uh, from the spiritual battle. It, it's not the life that's giving in to sin. See, to stand firm for the gospel means to plant your feet and say, I'm going to remain here to proclaim Christ. And Paul says, a life that's worthy of the gospel stands firm. Secondly, he says that you are in one spirit with one mind. There's unity. A life that's worthy of the gospel is unified. And God wants to see that of us here at Good News, of us at the church plant, of His body of Christ, universal, that we would be unified. A third manner in which we walk worthy of the gospel, He says that we are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That we are working together. As long as the gospel is the same that we proclaim, we can lock arms with brothers and sisters and preach Christ, striving side by side. You know, someone once said that church planting is all, always means goodbye. And there, there's a truth to that. Because we will remain friends, but our relationships will change. I won't see you every week. We won't talk as frequently. But rather than saying goodbye, though, if we're obeying God's word here, we're saying that we're to strive side by side, it's not so much goodbye as it is see you on the front lines. See you on the battlefield. Because we are striving side by side for the defense of the gospel. So the first manner worthy of the gospel is standing firm. Second is to be unified. Third is to be striving side by side. And fourthly is in verse 28. He says, and not frightened. Not being afraid. Of what? Afraid of anything. By your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, what Paul is saying here is this. Don't be frightened of your uh, opponents. There will be people who oppose the gospel message. When you try to tell people about Jesus, there will be people who are against that. But don't be afraid. Because one, it says that these people don't know Jesus. And number two, it says that you do. See, if you find yourself in a spiritual battle today, that is evidence that you belong to Jesus. Because you are fighting a battle that comes when you're on Jesus' side. 
So evidence of your faith is you're, you're in the fight. Paul continues on there in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and not he, now hear that I still have. They are to walk worthy of the gospel because they're supposed to be engaged in the same kind of conflict that Paul was engaged in. Now granted, the conflict had to do with the fact that, that he was stripped, he was beaten, there were people who were doing this. But we all know, we all know that what the Bible tells us about this, this battle we're in, Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood ultimately. Our battle is against the enemy of the soul. It's against Satan who would want us to keep our mouths silent. He would want us to not, not be a part of this battle. And Paul's saying, be engaged in that same conflict, that same spiritual warfare that I was a part of. So I, I'm, I'm very well aware that when we go to start this church planning work, we are entering into a battlefield. There is a spiritual battle taking place, which is why we got to walk worthy of the gospel, standing firm, unified, striving by, side by side, and not being afraid. And for all of us who remain at good news, remember, this is a battlefield we are in. It doesn't change. You can change neighborhoods, but you don't change the battle because it's gospel work. Paul says, when I come, I want to see you guys like that. And this is God's word for his church. He wants to see us walking worthy of the gospel, standing firm for it, being unified together, Striving side by side. We can't do it alone. And not being afraid. Not being afraid. I, I pray that as we, as we see Philippians 1 here, that, that God would help us get off the bus, all right? If you find that you're on the bus right now, peering at the riches of God through a window and not seeing all of it, what is it in your life that's, that's clouding your vision? What is it? Is it your job? Is it, is it your forms of entertainment? Is it your, your lack of time in God's word? Time of prayer? Being with other believers to sharpen you? What is it? Because I plead with you to, to put those things aside, no matter how dramatic it is, in order to catch a glimpse of the big picture of what Jesus Christ wants for your life. And he wants to see the gospel advanced in your life's circumstances, no matter how hard or how easy they may appear to be. And as you are bold, your boldness will be contagious, and other people will see it, and they will dare open their mouths, and the body of Christ will then walk worthy of the gospel People would come to know Jesus. Churches would grow in order to send out people to start new churches that grow and send out people. And that by that way, we would fulfill the Great Commission when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations and baptize. So how is God calling you to step out today? Is He calling you to, to step forward and be a part of something here at Good News that you've always been putting off? Perhaps leading a small group 
And I say that not so that small groups can become huddled in so we can form our own little clique, but small groups that raise up believers, that reach out to lost people and show the love of Christ and empower others. That kind of mosaic small group. Is God calling you to lead one of those? To, to come alongside of other ministries and say, how can we get out there and let people see this majestic God that I worship? Seizing the opportunity. As we think about this church plan, uh, this, is, this is a bittersweet day for me and for Erica. We will be forever grateful to Good News Bible Church. Erica grew up here. Her parents have been here forever. Um, and in turn, she has been here forever. She trusted Christ as a five-year-old on a bus and became a part of this, uh, being in this church family, growing up here, getting baptized here, being a part of the women's ministry. And I know, I know it's, a, it's a sweet place for her. I know she's going to miss you ladies. She's going to miss the moms and moms group, working with women for the retreats, going out for coffee. And, 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 and I'm going to miss this place. I, I baptized my first people here. I preached my first sermon series here. She's got such sweet memories here. But none of these things for her or for myself are for resumes. This is because this is God has been, has been and is continuing to prepare us for gospel work. The same kind of work He's calling in you. And I know many of you can stand up just like I'm doing and express your appreciation, your gratitude for what God has done here. But let's be a part of what He's continuing to do here. When the words of the Protestant reformers that I so dearly love. May all that we do be solely Deo Gloria. For God alone be the glory. I love you, Good News Bible Church. And I'm looking forward to serving alongside another community and making our awesome God known. Seeing Him change lives, hearing stories about here, what He's doing. And doing this together with you guys until Christ returns or until He takes us home. Yeah, to Him be the glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, what is man that you take, that you're mindful of him? God, why do you care about us like you do? God, you have no need, you have no lack. You don't need our worship. You don't, you don't need our devotion. God, you are self-sufficient, and yet, God, you call us to be participants in what you're doing. You invite us to be a part of your work. You give us the privilege of worshiping you. And God, would our very lives be instruments and acts of worship, God? whether church planting, whether calling our neighbor, whether speaking up in third period, whether talking in the office or at lunch, 
Would it all be for you, God? May we seize the gospel opportunities. Because so much is at stake, God. Lord, we are yours and we give ourselves away to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to invite our prayer counselors to come forward and uh, 